Okay, welcome, friend, to the podcast today. I'm so glad to be in a conversation with Frank Viola. He's been on the podcast before. We've had some great dialogue in the past talking about his book, Insurgents, about the kingdom of God. That book has really made a dent. You're going to want to check that out. Really uh, has has affected a lot of people. I'm currently reading, uh, finishing up a book, um, Hang On, Let Go, which uh, deals with going through hard times. But we're talking today, too. I'm going through his book, The 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. How are you doing, Frank? I pray your day's going well. And uh, what's the latest and greatest? Well, let's see. Today's not been so good because I've had audio problems with my digital software. Latest and greatest, the book just dropped and it's doing very well, at least today on Amazon. It's number one, the number one book in Christian discipleship in right. that category. And it's also the number one book on church leadership. So that's very, very encouraging as well as humbling. So I'm very grateful for that. We are so grateful for the for the work you do. Frank, this is a book I'm picking up as I read. I've I've read about half of it so far. I'm picking up that it's a book for the um professional clergy class, right? As they continue <laughs> to minister to the teeming masses and the pews. If you're not a professional clergy person, you just might want to tune out right now. No, we're kidding. We're kidding. Joke. Joke. Frank, yeah, it's a joke. It's a joke. Frank is a big advocate, and so am I, of the priesthood of all believers, that we're all ministers of the gospel. And so in the tagline of this book, uh, Frank, you have uncommon wisdom for greater ministry impact. And I know you, you're, you mean that to apply to everyone in the body of Christ, correct? Yes, everyone in every kind of ministry. Uh, that covers you sharing the gospel, sharing your testimony with someone who doesn't believe. Uh, that covers you having a counseling session with someone who's come to you with okay. a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it covers everything. Mm -hmm. Any kind of ministry, as well as preaching and teaching and exhorting and praying for the sick, etc. Whatever you consider to be ministry or service to God, that's what the book is about. This book, I really can't say enough about it. It's... Um, I know it's hard-won practice from years of experience as well as study. And, you know, you mentioned on the back cover or whoever did the back cover content, maybe your publisher, that this goes beyond what people may receive in college or even seminary. And I can tell you, Frank, I majored in theological and historical studies at the undergrad level, and I have some seminary in adult ed and theology and this stuff is really not there in those curricula. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that mm -hmm. for sure. This is stuff that can make or break our, I think, our longevity, our evergreen impact throughout our life mm -hmm. as a Christ follower. And it's just hard-won kingdom practice. And many years of experience, right, have are behind the writing of this book. I think it says in the, in the Old Testament somewhere that once I've heard this, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Am I quoting that yes. right? There's a verse yeah. that says that, right? And, yes, I think so. I then, believe so. I read the Bible once. It sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Hope I'm not drawing on the uh, Book of Mormon or the Koran, <laughs> Koran or something there. But um, yeah. And then, you know, Paul says in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God. Jesus taught us to pray and to sign off our prayers with yours is the kingdom and the power. God operates according to certain lines, certain principles. And that's what the book gets into. It covers the waterfront on how the power of God is released 
given and released through a human vessel. And and when I say power of God, I'm not just talking about the miraculous power of God. All of God's power is supernatural, but it's not always miraculous. Like a sign so for or example, a wonder, yeah. the miraculous is when natural law is suspended. So if somebody, you know, has a blind eye and you lay your hands on them and pray for them and all of a sudden the person can see, that is a suspending of natural laws. Mm-hmm. That's miraculous. Mm-hmm. But if you share the gospel with someone mm-hmm. and their eyes open to see Christ and the conviction of the spirit falls on them and they repent and they believe and they become reborn yeah, in sure. the spirit, yeah. that's supernatural, but it's not miraculous. There's no suspending of natural law. So right, right. I say this because, you know, I grew up in the charismatic world mm-hmm. and when anybody talked about the power of God, immediately they think of walking on water and raising the dead and zapping demons and, yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Right. While my book certainly applies to the miraculous, it goes beyond the miraculous. Yeah. And God's power often is quite subtle, but it is big and dramatic when people's lives change and there's transformation. Mm. Can you give us uh, an example or two of a law of spiritual power in your book that maybe a lot of mm. us don't know about or it's been neglected? The danger of an empty house. Okay. <laughs> now, it's it's quite interesting mm. because I'm immediately transported back in my memory to a conversation I had with a seminary professor. And he's a friend of mine. He's not only a seminary professor, he was the dean of (laughs) this seminary. Uh, You know, lots of professors were under him. So he's a very knowledgeable guy, you know, more degrees than a thermometer. (laughs) We're having this conversation and I was just talking to him about some of the things that don't seem to be taught in seminary. And exactly what you said in the beginning of this interview that, hey, I'm reading this book and, and they're not teaching this. So he said to me, well, give me an example, Frank. What are you talking about? I said, well, I'll give you a short example, the danger of the empty house. And I talked to him about the parable of Jesus on the danger of the empty house, the peril of the empty house and what happens. And I gave an application, but I didn't go into detail. You know, I kind of kept it vague because I wanted to see if he knew what I was talking about. And he he got frustrated. He was like, what in the world are you talking about? I never heard anything like this. Well, I hope he reads the book because his eyes will be open. But my point is he had no idea. I'll give your listeners a little preview. The danger of the empty house, the way it applies to the Christian, right? right? The principle is a lot bigger than this, is that you are the most vulnerable to temptation when God has used you the most. Hmm. At that moment, when you have expended the power and the energy of God in ministry, at that very moment, when that power has issued forth from you, whether you've seen conversions or healings or eyes opened or spiritually speaking now, uh, or physically, Mm -hmm. at that moment, you are the most open and the weakest to be tempted and to make a really stupid decision that you'll regret for the rest of your life. And I talk about it in the book. I give examples of it. Most ministers don't know anything about this, but when I've talked to them about it in these masterminds and in seminars, they're like, that's so true. I had no, I never put it together. 
I never saw it like that, but that's true. And so I talk in the book about practical ways to circumvent that so that when God has used you and you have released the power of God and you've ministered under his anointing, things you can do to fill that room, fill that house okay. so that you're not open game for the enemy. And that's in the book. My point is that is something that's neglected. It's unknown, even at the seminary level. Amazing, isn't and, it? <clears throat> and yet we have <laughs> we have a trail of spiritual leaders who have been shipwrecked by this. And if someone had told them, it may have helped quite a few of them. It's a very violent context that we're in. You know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, there being violence around it and disruption and innovation. And, you know, there is a lot of spiritual activity around the kingdom of God as it penetrates this this environment that we're currently in. And so, you know, if we don't know how things work, <laughs> it can be a dangerous game. You know, if we don't understand how the kingdom works and how to to steward it with with wisdom, we could find ourselves everything from a shipwreck on the one end of a continuum to maybe milder forms of ignorance and compromise that just, you know, really, Mm -hmm. um, really trim back our fruitfulness and our impact and our joy in the kingdom. Uh, There is a way that things work, right? Every kingdom has laws and principles in it. Yeah, absolutely. Principles, enduring principles that don't move uh, and that operate under all circumstances. But the fact of the matter is we're in a war. And if you're on the front lines in the kingdom of God and you're doing the Lord's work, you know, you're open game for the enemy. And so there's there's certain things that that need to be understood. Uh, of course, the book covers a lot more than than this defensive law that I'm okay. talking yeah. about, the danger sure. of the empty house. But Paul, in one of his letters, said, we are not ignorant of the stratagems, the tactics of the enemy. And this is this is one of the examples. And it's really counterintuitive because you would think if God is using you in power, right, you would think that the moment that that finished, you would just be in the heavenlies. You'd be in the clouds. You know what I mean? You would be walking on spiritual water. You would be immune to temptation. But the exact opposite is true. And I get into this, too. There's a there's a coda in the book, which is an extra chapter in the back called The Danger of God's Power. And it is mm. fascinating to me mm-hmm. that the people who are used in power the most oftentimes tend to be highly arrogant, full of pride, very difficult people to live with and and to be around. And then very often they crash and burn. See, the power of God will destroy one person and will absolutely bless another. It really depends on the character of the individual. And I get into that in that chapter. It's kind of involved because, again, this is this is territory that we often don't hear about. You know, people don't talk about it. We, it's scary to find a Christian chasing God's power because they don't realize that there's another side to it. Mm. All right. There's, yeah. there's a danger involved in it. At the same time, and this is going to sound contradictory, we need God's power to be effective in ministry. We need God's dynamic energy, the dynamic energy of the Spirit, which is the power of God, in order to effectively bear fruit 
so that's the one part of it is how do we gain this power and how do we maintain it? That's the one part of it. The other is what are the dangers involved in it as well? So I try to cover both aspects of it yeah. in the book. Yeah, just uh, really a matter of life stewardship, right? Being able to, and and I'm hearing, I'm just thinking as you're talking there about from Jesus' perspective, if we could imagine thinking from his point of view and whom he would entrust his royal power to, it would be people that walk with him, people that are close to him, people that are picking up his heart, you know, and it seems to me that that would be a key aspect of um from Jesus' perspective, how he would entrust us with power. If we see such a dearth of power, perhaps it is an issue of we are not positioning ourselves in relationship and in intimacy well with the Lord and in obedience to him where he would entrust us with that power. I tell you, one of the laws that really stood out to me was serve in the spirit. It's law 24, where uh, Paul says in Romans 1, 9, God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching mm. of the gospel. And just this idea of not coming from a like a psychological level, just a mental level, an emotional level, but going deeper and allowing your kingdom impact to come. And, and you know, this can apply to parenting. This can apply to, to business. If you're seeking to, to serve God from your spirit in business or in teaching, Right. It's not just like church, like we normally think of it, more of a kingdom scope, but completely, you say, completely relying on, on the indwelling life of the spirit and of Christ as that energizing force as you um, seek to bear influence for Christ. That struck me. That is so strong right there. Here is the paradox. On the one hand, God entrusts his power to those whose characters are in line and in step with his will and who are hungry and thirsty. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, God does give his power to people like Saul, King Saul. He does give his power to people like Samson. He does give his power to people like Balaam. And in all three cases, these were people who had serious character defects God still uses them, but God's power ended up destroying them because of their characters. Yeah, I was going to ask So that, that's yeah. the other side of that. So I have known throughout the years some men who were tremendously gifted in operating in God's miraculous power, whether it's you know word of knowledge or healing or miracles. And some of these guys turned out to be Samson's and Saul's. And Balaam's. <laughs> hmm. So again, okay, there are the laws of God's power that explain this. How can it even be? How can it happen that God entrusts his power to someone who has such a warped character? Mm -hmm. And the book goes into that. So there's just so much related to this that is mysterious, that's countercultural, that's counterintuitive, that's counternatural. I think that's why so many people who are in ministry are responding so positively because it, so much of it is so new and fresh to them, but it makes sense. It makes sense of, of things we see in the in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament that were, were kind of odd, but the book pieces it together. And then, as you said before, it gives practical exercises on how to actually flesh out the laws. You know, I personally, as a reader, because I read as well as write, 
I don't really care for books that just give me information, but no practical handles on how to carry it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. okay, this is really good, but how do I flesh it out? You yeah. know, give me the how, not just the what and not just the why, but the how. And so what I tried to do in the book, Brian, is give practical hows, you know, H-O-W, <laughs> yeah. to, to flesh this out. And that's why, you know, that's why I wrote it in that particular way. There's also, you haven't finished the book yet, but at the end, there are those coda chapters. Those are those extra chapters. And then there's a website that's linked in the book that people can go to and there's extra chapters Plus, there's audios of seminars and conferences where I'm speaking to leaders and people in ministry, and that's all supplemental to the book. So the book is, it's not the end-all, be-all. It leads to other resources as well, because this is a big, big subject. Yeah, I love how you're, you know, integrating an analog book in terms of a paperback with uh, the digital, 48laws.com. And um, yeah, I did notice because I've skipped around in chapters. I did notice. I think it's Law Forty Seven is put a handle on it, right? Put a handle yes, on it, make it exactly show them how. And I guess we could say that the why and the what are upstream from the how. You know, you really can't get to a how until you know what it is and why it is. But, yes, yes. You know, it's upstream from that. But if we never get to the how, that's where it doesn't really make an impact. So discouragement. I guess we get our courage from the Lord. He is the lion, right? Maybe the discouragement keeps us dependent upon him, I guess, keeps us coming back to him. And Well, let me give you an example. All right, let's say that you're invited to keynote speak, uh, or maybe you're not even the keynote. Maybe you're one of the speakers at an event, okay? Okay. And you get up there and you start speaking and you pour your heart out. And there's a guy sitting in the second row, and he's fallen asleep. There's uh, another woman who is in the first row, and she's just seems to be oblivious to what you're saying. She's kind of on her phone. She is on her phone, right? Okay. And then when it's over, nobody says anything to you. You don't get any feedback. You feel like you hit the ball out of the park. But from what you have seen... Nothing has landed. Now, brother, that's a recipe to be discouraged. But here's the thing. You didn't really focus on the other guy in the third row who was just on the edge of his seat, who was mesmerized by what you were saying. And the point is, your talk was not for the woman who was on her phone. Your talk was not for the guy who was falling asleep. Hmm. Your talk was for Mm -hmm. that guy who was on the edge of his seat, who you could tell by his face was blown away. It wasn't for the others. It was for him. Hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the points that helps you to dance with discouragement is, well, you know what? It wasn't for them. Whatever I wrote, whatever I shared, whatever I did, the people it did not land on, it wasn't for them. But I'm not going to stop doing it because that would be robbing that one guy who was on the edge of his chair whose life was changed because you'll get a letter from that guy three weeks from now saying, your talk changed my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so good. I loved um, put a handle on it. I'll just leave that one. I'll just oh, set that out there. Wonderful. I loved that one. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I want to talk, though, about what comes after the 48 laws in the book, because you have not only a postlude, um, but you have 
five codas. These like, I mean, I think of that as a musical term, like that which comes after the main piece. Right. Um, but I love that. We might, uh, in you know, in other people's books, we might call them appendices, but I like the word coda. Um, will you touch on coda number three? Because I think that um, people are experiencing a lot of uh, Christian leaders, a number of Christian leaders who are deconstructing or walking away from or now denying the faith. Can you can you just share because that that's dealt with in such a practical way here, um, and that's a real ministry. Uh, that's a real ministry of this book. Well, thank you. Yeah, that that is a, a very popular chapter, by the way. And it's not just Christian leaders; it's Christian musicians. We have watched the departure of many Christian le- leaders and musicians, as you say, deconstructing, which is a fancy word for abandoning the faith. <laughs> And so basically what I do there is I say to the people, because I've read their testimonies, I've read their reasons for leaving the Christian faith. They say things like, well, you know, prayer became boring. Music, worship became tiresome. We didn't like going to church anymore. (laughs) We didn't like reading the Bible. Well, when I look at all of that, I can relate to every single one of them. The problem Mm -hmm. is, here's the issue. The way you were taught to pray is very different from how I pray, okay? The way you were taught to pray, and and I would dare say most Christians, I find that boring too. Mm. Going to church, okay? Well, the kind of churches you have been to, I found those boring a long time ago. (laughs) But there's nothing more exciting than a community of believers that love one another that know one another really well and that are enthroned in Christ and learning how to live the Christian life together. That's powerful. And that's what church was in the first century. That's another issue. And so I go down the line and I basically say all of these things, the reasons why you left the Christian faith are reasons that actually drove me closer to know my Lord in a deeper, real way. They drove them out they drove me further to know him. And I make a point, is a statement in, in that chapter, if Jesus Christ, the real Christ, gets into your pores, it mm. is impossible to scrub him out. Mm-hmm. And that's the fact. And so none of these musicians and none of these leaders ever came to me. They never said, hey, man, I'm having trouble with deconstructing my faith or my peers, right? Because we deal with all this stuff. A large part of my ministry is to Christians who are disaffected with the Christian faith as it is. Mm -hmm. They're disaffected with church as it is. They're disaffected with prayer and Bible reading as it's commonly taught. And so my work is to those who say, there's gotta be more than this. And so I address that in that chapter, and it's been very helpful to the people who have read it, because the fact of the matter is, we're going to see more people depart from the Christian faith, but there is a difference between modern contemporary Christianity and all the traditions we've been taught, and Jesus Christ himself and his beautiful bride, the Ecclesia. It's a big difference. And so Amen. I get into that in that chapter. My uh, One of my favorite lines in the book, if you are in Christ— your entire life is to be a mission trip. Man, that is, you are, you're talking off the script of the, of, of the show uh, when you say that. So um, can you walk around in that for just a moment? Because most of the people listening are not, you know, quote unquote, in some kind of professional ministry, but every single one of us is a co-missionary with Christ and our lives are, you know, on mission for him. Can you, can you talk about that? 
Yeah, and absolutely. And you put it very well. I just got an email the other day. Some people have got this idea that this book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, is only for pastors and teachers and missionaries and church planners. That's not true. If you are a Christian, you are in ministry, all right, period. Your life is a witness to Jesus Christ. Your entire life is a mission trip. And so all of these laws apply to you. You also need God's power, not just in sharing the gospel with someone or helping a friend or a loved one to see the Lord, to contact the Lord, to get through their struggle with the Lord. That's all ministry. All right. It's not just that, but you need God's power in your own life to live the Christian life for yourself. Mm -hmm. And these laws, all of them apply to that. You know, I do think uh, one of the, the tragedies in the Christian faith is that there is this secular slash spiritual dichotomy. Division. And, yes. Yeah, division. And that's where the clergy and the laity came. That started in the fourth century, by the way. There was no clergy laity in the first century. Every person was a priest. I mean, the Reformation Amen. brought back the great doctrine that's in the New Testament of the priesthood of all believers. That includes Amen. women too, by the way. All right. This priesthood is made up of men and women. All Christians are priests. All Christians are ministers. The problem, though, with the Reformation is it brought back the doctrine, but not the practice. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, but the truth is, if you're breathing oxygen and you know Christ and you have found him and he lives in you and you're following him, you are a minister. You're in ministry. When you go to the workplace, you are a, a living, breathing testimony. And God's power is available to you, but there's certain laws, principles that it's governed by. And so that's what this book really is. So great. So great. Frank Viola with 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. You can find Frank and the book at 48laws.com. Have a great day and God bless.